public service announcement on behalf of the end podcast there will be adult themes and explicit language throughout so if this does not reconcile with your sensibilities please find alternate sources of entertainment or walk to your nearest family member drop your trousers and pants tuck your pee pee between your legs and say mummy mummy i made a lady lady mummy i made a lady <laughs> toodle pip <laughs> That is the despicable introduction to the end podcast episode two proper. So we'll do a quick round with the cast. Brian, introduce yourself to the people, please. Yeah, that's how I like to get down, man. I like to dance, eat plants, and read comics. Follow that then, Blake. Hey, what's up? I'm Blake coming from you live from uh, Kansas City, where we win Super Bowls and do barbecue better than Texas ever dreamed of. Fight <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> words. There's only one place to go after that, and that is Goose. <laughs> oh, he's left. <laughs> yeah. a, a witty retort is necessary, I feel, Goose. Go for it. No, I don't even have any retorts. I just had to chug my coffee. And get on with it. My name is Goose and my feelings are hurt. <laughs> and um, if you could soothe and pacify Joe, that would be most welcome. Yeah, Joe Pocket here, double zero Joe Pocket on Twitter. Always bringing you the uh, the good shit here on the end pod. So, ha- so happy to have you guys join us. Hope you enjoy the show. As do I. And Ollie, take it away. And last and certainly not least. Hi, hi I'm Holly. Resident French guy, kind of like a mascot or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. But the mascots never lose, so I think that's a perfect role for anybody. In fact, I'm envious that you've already uh, got dibs on it. Right, so let's get into the first uh, news proper for the week. And now this was a new name for me at um, Marvel Studios or in, in Disney. It's Victoria Alonso. She's a vice president of production and I'm not too sure if that's a new position that fits in with the reordering of Walt Disney that happened earlier in the year Um, but nonetheless she's been she's been talking about two of the IPs and there's been some interesting stuff that's come about so the first one is that there is that there is no intention in the studio to recast Black Panther they're not going to be using any CGI and he will be in her words, he will be dead out of the MCU, in the MCU, when we pick it up next. So it's going to be an off-screen death. What were your thoughts on this, Ollie? Uh, it's kind of a conundrum. It's like, how do you honor the memory of something that just passed? And uh, you, you have to keep going. I'm not sure the character won't be used again in movies. If you take the comics, during Hickman's uh, tenures on Avengers, he was king of the, of the necropolis, of king of the dead. So uh, there, there's a way to bring him back. But uh, nobody is going to want to play the character right now. Yeah. The actor was too famous. He represented too much. And CGI, uh, we also, uh, in Star Wars, with uh, the latest movie with Leila, uh, with a post-prod CGI, uh, or bad that could be. So (laughs) I don't think it could could be done. Yeah, definitely. And I think that Black Panther is probably the highest profile Marvel character that doesn't really have a legacy. I mean, sure, there's um, there's Shuri, 
and she's done the the mantle before, but there's not like a Riri Williams or a Miles Morales or a Amadeus Cho or um, a Miss Marvel. So I think Black Panther is a more curious case because you can't bring him back by proxy and it would have to be a direct replacement. I can't ever imagine there being a time where there's not going to be an MCU, which is crazy hurtful because we're only going to live for a certain amount of time. <laughs> yeah, I, I fucking but give me immortality. Exactly. Like, I mean, <clears throat> I, I need to get the running shoes out of the, out of the cupboard. <laughs> That's what needs to happen. Stop drinking as much. Stop stop eating so much takeaways because I, I want to get I want to get to that. Um, can you believe we're only on a hundred films? How quickly has that happened? I want to live to see that day. But in either case, there is going to be a time when they are going to need to refresh the IPs at some point. And I suppose it's how they plan for that or how they, I mean, with the multiverse stuff, I suppose that's one, one avenue. But um... well, look, we've got, we got a couple of facts we can go with. Uh, one is like you say, we've got Sherry. She's played Black, Black Panther in the comics. It's happened. And uh, I was dealing with some backlash on Facebook uh, amongst my friends. And they were like, nah, it can't work. Da, da, da. And I'm like, we've got a Black 007. We just did that. Female and Black 007. So the president is already being set. Now, whether or not she can carry it is another question. As a storyline, temporary, she could hold it, right? As we work in the character. The second fact that we know is that Killmonger was coming the fuck back. And none of us has got a Scooby hand and we're going to do that. So Michael yeah. B. Jordan was in it. That's that, so we could easily do some shit where he meets a CGI version of him in the in the necropolis, in the nether realm, in the dead plane or some shit, mm. and go. Your job is to go back, resurrect. We're going to resurrect you. We're going to send the spirits of the forefathers. I don't know. And you get it. And then some shit comes yeah. back. Michael B. Killmonger is going to be the illest fucking Black Panther ev ever. I mean, I, did, I, I don't know. He was the best part about that film. It could have been sensational. Yeah, but I was going to read Victoria Alonso came up with. And that is that the MCU and Marvel Studios have absolutely no intentions of bringing Iron Man or Tony Stark back at any point. He's dead, he's done, and there would have to be a very specific, fit-for-purpose way that was not, uh, that was, wasn't manufactured or gratuitous, and it would, would have to be something special for it to happen. But there's certainly no expectations to bring him back. I'm happy that they're kind of saying it gives space because let, even Park Iron Man and Tony Stark, RDJ is a class act to follow. Um, imagine having to follow RDJ. <laughs> 10 years of legacy, the MCU built on his shoulders. Like, nah, just dead him, give people space to come up, like, you know, like, leave that land fallow. Wait, how many films are in the MCU now? What are we up to, like 23 or something? It's over 20. Yeah, but let's let's for argument, yeah. let's say 20. It's more than that. But it's easy to forget that three of the first seven MCU films, so almost half, well, were the first three Iron Man films. And we've had 13, maybe 15 films since without one. So I know he's had a big part to play in the Avengers films, but still not actually having an Iron Man film isn't that much of a departure from what we already had. And he's kind of passed the torch on to, to Spider-Man as well, which I know not everybody is a big fan of. I'm against it! 
Well, I, I mean, like, we've been having, we've been sprinkling. Uh, we we've got the kid, uh, the kid who like Tony mm -hmm. gave the workshop to, um, and yeah. he was also at the funeral. And yeah. we have Iron Man's daughter. So daughter. I mean, we, yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. People that could mm -hmm. easily, or not easily, it would have to be worked in to have them kind of step up into the role. Uh, the kid. I can't think of his name, if they even ever gave him a name, but he was at the funeral yeah, in the game. And um, I mean, he's older. Uh, it would make more sense for him to kind of, and he's already an inventor. Uh, Tony gave him the tools. Yeah. Uh, they could easily work it into like Tony put him in the will and gave him, you know, pretty much unlimited funding or anything like that. There's seeds that are sprinkled that a new tree could grow. Like Carrie Fisher was is a beautiful woman, but like there comes a point when like you keep adding these dead people via computer software into movies yeah. that you're monetizing on a legacy and a beautiful person, and and it, it eventually I it almost feels like you're taking advantage of a corpse and yes. I, like yeah. And let's not forget Robert Downey Jr. is almost fifty if he isn't fifty yes. already. Yeah. I don't want a sixty year old Iron Man like you can't. <laughs> You've got to but bring me back where... now or not at all. And I'm I'm going full balls out, not at all. But this is, I'd like to touch back on what Blake was touching on because this is exactly where I was thinking. You can bring Robert Downey Jr. And his daughter later on can take the mantle. And instead of Jarvis in the suit, it's Robert Downey talking to his daughter and guiding her as the new Iron Man. So you don't have Jarvis anymore. And then you don't have an old man. You have his voice, right? He's in the mm. system. Just like Jarvis, you know, and and That's he dope. could lead his daughter to become the next next Iron Man. And that guy that Blake was talking about, the kid that he passed on all the technology, he could become mm. the assistant that helps her out along with him as the AI to make her become the new ultimate Iron Man. And you're bringing another, you know, gender. You know, they want to bring more women into the Marvel Universe and superheroes. Well, there you go. Tony Stark's daughter is the new Iron Man. It fits. It, it would be maybe not right away, but you could bring, you know what? Who gives a shit if it's not see, in the comics? Because we're talking about the movies. And, you know, Hollywood doesn't give a shit about the comics. Here's the only thing I want to touch on that. We have we have Ironheart as as Tony Stark's mm -hmm. legacy, and I'm a big fan of Riri Williams. And the one thing I oh, do I not want to see is uh, is the MCU turn uh, uh, Tony Stark's daughter into Ironheart. Uh, I, if she wants to be a new Iron Man, like like Joe was saying, that's awesome. We can even give her a new suit that just says like F E, and then Man, or or, or, or uh, yeah yeah fucking. Uh, it'll it'll say it'll say F E M A E L, so it'll be Iron Man, and yeah. you know it'll say female. It'll be awesome. She can kick ass at that. Uh, but if we're gonna have a, a female uh, Iron person in the MCU, I'd love for them to hit on Riri Williams. Because um, yeah. I feel like them passing her up with the passing of Tony, yeah. like having Tony Stark out of it, bringing in Riri Williams would open up. Um, just a whole new avenue and a whole new, a whole new group of people into the Iron Man like lore because, yeah. like you were saying, Joe, you look at you look at um, not only would you have a woman, but you'd have a woman of color, a younger one coming in to take the reins on um, at a, at a, char a character who's been established as white for for years, and so you'd have a new group of people that'd be able to get into that. I believe if we took the Riri Williams route. But I, I think the MCU is going to skip on her and give it to uh, Tony's daughter. I don't know if you guys watch 
YouTube channel, Kind of Culty, uh, there's a guy in it called Teddy and he's got notebooks full of notes taken from interviews and press conferences. And he and he he's pretty, pretty upon his co- <clears throat> comics as well, especially under the stuff that's relevant to the, to the MCU. And he does a lot of theory videos, a lot of things like Dark Avengers or Young Avengers or Thunderbolts and how he sort of proposes and what the threads are already existing and where it goes on to. And he's one of the people that's been pushing hardest for Young Avengers. Now we have Cassie Lang. Mm. Oh, we're going to have Wiccan as well, aren't we? Wiccan and Hulkling as well. Well, that's the expectation from, from WandaVision. Do, do you think that's something that's fan fiction at the minute or do you think there's an opportunity there to pick up either Young Avengers or Champions and which line would you rather head down? It's not I mean, same. that's been rumored. Oh, golly, you're good. It's not the same thing. Champions was about uh, rejecting the adults that were fighting each other and trying to make the world better. Young Avengers is more about legacy. Yeah, it's yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I think the question I was asking more is which which one of the two would you prefer, if any, or would you um, think that this is something that isn't nece- necessary, at least for the time being? It depends on the success of uh, Disney Plus uh, Miss Marvel show, I would say. Who's the guy that I don't like that I've had? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Name my argument with on Twitter. That isn't Liefeld. The guy, that, the guy that threw a bit of a fit when I did the all-time greatest creators poll. And he went, how dare you pit me against my... Oh. Uh, Kieran Gillen. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah, it's his original Young Avengers one, isn't it? He's the guy that brought it. No. Yeah. Well, no, it's um shit. I just read Alan this. Berg. Yes. Alan Einberg from VOC. Is it only Patriot that will be? From what we know, is Patriot the only one missing from that lineup now? And would you think that could be something that's brought into Hawkeye? Sorry, into uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. It would be okay. it would be socially re- relevant. It would be interesting yeah. right now. Yeah. And I mean the just the theme of like legacy of like uh, especially if they went with the children taking up parents' roles, um, new films taking up these iconic roles, uh, continuing on the MCU. I mean the, the legacy trope would would go in with all that. I think I think it would be pretty organic. Mm. Do you think because of the ages of the, the cast and the relative, they're not going to be on mega books for each each of the films if they were to be brought in? I think there's a strong argument for this being the first, well, it wouldn't be, would it, because we had Defenders. I like Defenders, but I mean, that's a conversation for another day. But I think we, you could potentially put this on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, well, um, I think we've gone to the sideways trajectories and with that, and that is not where we started with at all. But it was a good discussion, discussion. Good, good, good discussion, guys. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Your presence is always warmly welcome. And uh, someone else that is warmly welcome, and that is Jeff Johns, but usually at DC. How much did you like that fucking link, by the way? I really had to push it, but I got there. I got there. <laughs> he has surprisingly got an image title that is either currently out or going to be released. It's not really one uh, for me to talk about, and that's why I'm only glad that I've got such an impressive cast. It's called uh, Geiger, and I believe, Joe, you would like to pick this one up and discuss it while I disappear in um, shame for that tenuous link. So go for it. (laughs) All right. Uh, 
Jeff Johns is coming out with his own creator own title along with created along with Gary Frank, who he did doomsday, the doomsday clock. Uh, and they started that as soon as doomsday clock was over, the two of them jumped on that and they started that. And the premise is uh, there's an atomic war and this, these are all story based in the world that survives after this atomic war, the nuclear war. And Geiger is the main character who is supposedly the baddest ass after this, this nuclear war. Um, so one thing I did, I, I looked into it and what I, what I saw, what I read a little article on is that DC was supposed to release this as a creator owned, uh, comic under, uh, uh, Jeff John's, uh, imprint, which was supposed to be called killing zone, kind of like the Hill house imprint with Joe Hill. Well, they were supposed to do this with him. And I don't know if this fell through the cracks because of the whole COVID or the many allegations of inappropriate behavior on his part, but all of a sudden now it's coming out on image instead of DC. So I don't know exactly what happened there, but it's coming out. And I know that this guy gets a lot of hate for the work he does on these legacy characters at DC, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because in my experience, when these guys get on their own titles where they have no restrictions, they don't have fans hounding them, and criticizing them for doing this or that to these legacy characters that have been around for 80 years just because of this and that. Usually when they have free reign and they get to work on these things, usually it turns out pretty damn good. And I think this might actually be pretty good because this guy has some talent. And if you let him go with something and just let him run with it, I think he could smash this out of the park. Goose, did you have to leave the room for that, or have you just put your feet <laughs> no, 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 I'll say this, I'll say this, I'll say this. I just I actually... Is that actual steam? <laughs> uh, it's actual steam. So, so I'm, 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 I'm uh, regulating my steam so that I can have this conversation normally. Um, I'm not even going to mention uh, Doomsday Clock. Here's what I'll say, though. Jeff Johns is an incredible writer. Uh, even the things that I hate about Doomsday Clock, I was just talking to one of my buddies about his utilization of firestorm and doomsday clock being some of the best some of the most well-written stuff he's ever done um am i excited about geiger yeah am i gonna read it yeah uh they've been working I'm, I'm a little bit more excited because joe said they've been working on it since doomsday clock ended so that's a good two years now so they've got to have at least two issues done um, <laughs> and after that you know we'll wait another fucking year we'll wait and look and i'll and i'll blame this one on gary frank uh because i do know that gary frank takes time with his art and it is fantastic but uh i'm going to talk mad shit to jeff johns if this is great you'll hear me say oh it's awesome fuck jeff johns though i've got a i've got a dc <laughs> short box and large fuck jeff johns on it i'm a hater i'm a fucking hater but i'll buy yeah. his work i'm not actually in the interview in the interview jeff johns actually made a joke about how they're coming out with it publicly now he's like we're so far ahead now i think it's safe to come out and start talking about it he actually made a joke about <laughs> of all the delays and everything you know so he's Do you well, know what? He's that, well joke, that, oh, that joke would have literally made me punch through the fucking screen I just, <laughs> oh, just pure anger <laughs> anyways it's gonna be good geiger's gonna be good yeah <laughs> like i mean i like gary listen. i like i Honestly, you're a good-looking man usually, but when you get angry, honestly, mate, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm feeling a little bit saucy. <laughs> you might have to take like, the camera off, man. I mean, I'll take I mean, an I'll example. Anybody else is feeling, but that was something else. <laughs> I'll take an example. Like Hickman, 
I love East of West. And I think that's a, as close as to a masterpiece of a comic you can come. Like, that series was amazing. But his X-Men stuff, I'm kind of lukewarm about. But when yeah, I mean, his, his creator owned stuff, man. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Go on, Ollie. Give it, give it, go on, get some, sons. Get some. <laughs> X-Men are secret. You can't say that. It's blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm outraged. I'm hurt. <laughs> I'm going to cry now. And let's do this X-Men style, man. We'll throw down. I'll get a sword. You get a sword, and we'll, we'll fucking duel it out, man. I just want to confirm, are you crying because of Goose's pelvic thrusts or because of what was being said about the X-Men? And was it tears from your eyes or was it tears... <laughs> from your thighs, do you know what I'm saying? We tears. <laughs> right, have we all had enough Jeff Johns for one day? Do you think we can... No, that? no, we haven't. All right, well... No, I'm kidding, okay, we can... I will. I'll. I'll pop in just to defend Jeff for a moment. Even last week, I did go off about three jokers, um, and I will say that about three. And I've told people this about three jokers when they are blatantly like, first of all, I don't like it when people say something is trash. Um, there's you can always yeah. usually find something good in someone, and when you love comics like we do, I think it's important to not always focus on the bad and to just recognize that these people fucking put their heart and souls into this shit. Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's, there's a lot of work there. Artists, inkers, editors, writers, deadlines. Um, yeah. And even, even with three jokers, you know what three jokers did? It, it aggravated me, but I'm still thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Like I still like keep coming back to like certain scenes there. And um, they kind of made that announcement that they're going to do not necessarily a fourth issue, but like a, a Batman universe one shot is the rumor going out right now. Like Bleeding Cool did an article about it. So you can only kind of trust that. Um, but like, I, I think Jeff Johns is a, a, is a solid writer and I will stand up and I'm pretty sure he's a solid dude. Cause until the last year, like no, Jeff Johns has been in the industry and he's been everywhere for decades and no one's ever had a bad thing to say about him until this year. And so I still, until like I get like hardcore proof that like Jeff Johns went after Fisher and tried to ruin his career and, and remove him from that movie. Like, I'm not believing that until I get proof. Um, I know Whedon's, Whedon's, Whedon's a prick. Like everybody knows that, like the cast of Buffy have said many things about him. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I know that there was like some, um, there, there may have been like some bad blood in some of the creators and actors, but like, I think Jeff is really talented. I think he puts out, you know, consistently great work. Um, it may not be for everybody. Sometimes some people don't like his Batman. Some people don't like his green lantern. I think most people talk shit on his green lantern because of who the artist is. Um, uh -huh. like I've, I've adored Jeff Johns for a long time and I will continue to buy whatever the fuck that guy puts out. Like, yeah, I want to pick up on the first thing that you said there, Blake, and that was that these guys are putting heart and souls into it. I think the example that I always bring to people, that it's, it's really hard to make something good. Like, to make some things really good, it's really fucking hard. And very few people that ever try to do anything, we're just lucky we're just fucking fantastic at podcasts already. We're just natural, mate. That's, that's one slot <laughs> less for everybody else. But I think if you go on IMDb and look at their top 200 films, 
even when you get to number 200, and think of all the films that have ever been made, ever, 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 ever. Then you're saying seven point something for the bottom, the bottom of the top 200 films. So I think you have to cut people some slack. And, and yeah, these are the best of the best. And it's kind of like football referees. It's always a good example to use when people are always criticizing them. Right, but they make mistakes and they're the best there is. So that just shows you how hard a job it is. Because if there was, it's not like we have an abundance of perfect football referees just, just waiting on the sidelines that aren't being used. These are the best that we can possibly have. And they're still apparently shit at it. <laughs> so yeah, I think we well, have to go. Although I've just realised what our main topic is and I'm saying cut people slack and we're about to fucking absolutely <laughs> someone for not being able to draw feet. <laughs> Perfect segue, man. If, if Lifefield could draw feet and he was still a massive cunt, he'd still be a massive cunt and we'd still be talking about him now. <laughs> it's not the feet that's a problem. That's just like a bauble on the Christmas tree. That's just one more thing that we can hit him with. Um, hey, before we go talking real big shit about him, let me see if I can get his drug dealer because he seems like he's got a real good one. Let me get that and then we can get a talking <laughs> shit about him. Uh, and it's funny, I was thinking about... What is plug? Thinking about drug dealers as well and going back, back to like Jeff Johns and you saying, like they'll turn up an hour late consistently and you'll be like, fuck you asshole, but still thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, okay. You just explain Jeff Johns for me because I, I, I talk shit about his work guys and I do, but I'm only mad about Doomsday Clock. Everything else LC's ever done has just super impressed me. He just, he well, just- Have you read his, the only thing I've read of his was the Justice League New 52. And it was, I think this is, the only thing when I've, I've appreciated the criticism of New 52, because I think it's brilliant and it did what it was supposed yeah. to because I would never have got into DC. It was just a real clean access point for me. Um, but the, the constant fucking tie-ins and, and you, there was whole volumes, like it'd be hit miss. This is one that you can make sense of. This is one that you can't make sense of. And then you go in and there's not even like omnibus or collected editions for this whole like event. And there was like, there was um, a Justice League Dark one. There was the the Atlantis one in the very first volume as well. Was it um, oh throne throne something throne throne water fish fish man on the throne? That's what it was called. <laughs> I'm fairly confident about this. The first one was uh, was the Trinity War, then Throne of Atlantis. Yeah, Throne of Atlantis. There you go. Told you. And then uh, and then we had um, Forever Evil, and then Forever Evil tied into uh, Dark Side Wars, which <laughs> oh, Dark Side Wars. Oh. You're overlooking. So good. That was one of the hardest things I've ever ever read in my life. Like I, I I couldn't do it in the end. I gave up. It was actually hurting my feelings looking at the panels. And it, was it the Injustice League or something? I don't even know what yeah. it was called now. That was fucking horrible. Like and. And the letterer, the lettering for Cy Cyborg was like polka, like light blue polka dots with with like dark blue lettering over it. Like you couldn't read it. It was it was not like nausea inducing. DC makes terrible choices for lettering. Yeah, I, I, uh, there was a what is it the the Batman one the Batman one where it's like the red lettering or the black lettering on the red bubbles. Like it threw mm. me way the fuck off. It's just, it, it, and it, come on, it's, I, I don't know that we've got to give props to all disciplines, but it's like fucking hell, man, it's lettering. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's the, it's, the, it's the one thing that, it's the one, it's like, it's the classic, you have one job. Come on. 
What's funny is no one ever talks about lettering until it's bad. And when you see bad lettering, you're like, wow, this can really fuck up a comic. And it makes no you appreciate letters because you're like, wow, like you don't realize how important it is and, until, yeah, you get these like weird fonts and font colors that blend in with the panels. And you're like, I need to read this and not struggle to read this. And you're like, oh, that's a crucial aspect of comic making. <laughs> You're exactly right, but you're not going to change my mind on it. Fuck letter, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right, and the last, the last news article that I am going to have to pick up because Tim's got a brokey phone. By the way, hello, Tim. Hope you're listening to us. We do love you. And we miss I, you. And yeah, I miss yeah, you. But at the same time, I don't want to do another sort of six or seven hours ed- editing for a three-hour podcast. So, <laughs> so your, your uh, lack of attendance is appreciated by me, at least. So um, I want to give a bit of background on how films work to start with. Disney is the only studio, and I think we picked up on one of, one of the practice rooms that we did. So I'll, I'll go into a bit of detail again, and the rest of the cast will just have to bear with my hideous repetition. But Disney is the only studio that 100% finances its own films because they have bankable IPs with existing fan bases in Star Wars, in Marvel, in Pixar, in Disney, and they don't see it as sharing risk, they see it as sharing profits, so they completely fund their own films. And like, it's private fan finance, venture capitalists, um, all the other studios will have some, some sort of staggered rewards, and if they don't even break even, then there'll be some sort of percentage of box office that the investors take. The second thing that people may or may not know, don't want to patronise any uh, film lovers out there, but each film is set up in its own LLP. So that's a limited liability P. (laughs) And and what they do is that's to protect that film um, in its own separate company so that any, uh, and I'm probably making a mess of this, so any huge losses aren't going to take down a whole studio or successive films making huge losses aren't going to bring down a studio because they've had a bad run. And what the LLPs are usually set up for is the working titles for films. Now, it's a really interesting one that's appeared in the last couple of weeks, and that is Solve Everything, and it's been confirmed that it is a Marvel Studios LLP. Now, the interesting thing about this is that Solve Everything was but it was a story arc in the Hickman run for Fantastic Four. So it seems that at some point in the future, near or far, there are plans to start pre-production on a Fantastic Four film. I think the interesting thing about this, even more so, is the choice of Solve Everything. Because this was when Reed Richards was trying to find like a theory of relativity. He was trying to find an equation that you could solve everything with. And it plays into the multiverse of the uh, Council of Reeds, which Rick and Morty bought into with the Council of Ricks. And it sort of brings together and, and definitely seems to have the same accents for the current multiversal direction that Disney's going in. So I don't know if you guys want to add anything to that or shall we get on to the Liefeld? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody? I'll, I'll say I think the I think the Fantastic Four is an important entity that the MCU is is fucking lacking, um, and they need to be there. the The first family needs to be there. Yes, 
I'm tired of fucking around. That the mutants need to be in the MCU and the first family needs to be in the MCU. And it's kind of silly that we've gone over a decade um, without them. And that's I know really the rights issues were part of it, but we got the rights now. Put them in. Put them in. That's a good yeah. point, Blake, because even though we have, and I said this at the beginning when the acquisition first happened with Fox, the people were saying we're going to have X-Men in this and that and the other, and I was like, look, they're probably, they have a cupboard somewhere with a big lock on it where you've got the Runaways film script that was already done, or at least the treatments or the story. You had a Moon Knight film that was done. There was a War Machine film that was supposed to be Iron Man 3, and Don Cheadle had signed up to it. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's probably maybe even 50 ideas that have been been given given a go. So yeah, it's perfectly plausible that there is X-Men in there in the break glass in case of an emergency. But I think what this shows us as well, that we're probably three, four years away from a Fantastic Four film. But how far does that mean we're away from X-Men? We don't even have yeah. a trailer for Eternals yet. How fucking crazy is that? that There's is- no, no, not even a teaser. There's not even a teaser of Eternals. That's the crazy. thing is, though, with it well, in such um, disarray, the schedule, we still don't know. It's like, we have a date for next year, but it could conceivably still not be next year, depending on whether this vaccine happens. But um, getting into the nuts and bolts of films as well, that people have the misunderstanding that the, the global box office, when that goes over the production budget, that's when it's profitable. It's not. The cinemas take a third of the cut. Marketing also is usually equivalent to um, the production budget. So if they were to release an Eternals trailer now and take up TV slots, then they're burning that marketing budget possibly a year, maybe even longer before the film's going to come out. So how do you like that, Blake? I've just pissed on your chips. (laughs) (laughs) I'll still eat them. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we've all got our kinks. <laughs> but I think we covered that with the Grace Jones talk last week. Um, still... <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, the, only th- the only thing I'll say about the whole uh, Fantastic Four thing is if we're in a Fantastic Four movie, I just, I really really want a good Fantastic Four movie. Yeah. I've been waiting since hell, since the first one dropped. Um, I remember being disappointed with both uh, the original Fantastic Four, The Rise of the Silver Surfer, and uh, the new reboot back in, back in uh, what, 2013, 2014? And I just, I've, I like I the Fantastic Four. I want to see a good adaptation of them on screen. But more importantly, I want to see a badass Victor Von Doom. Yo, I'm just not, I'm just not geese, geese tying it back to before, using Invincible Iron Man from Bendis. How would you feel about him being an Iron Man kind of doom? That would be sick. That title was so good, by the way. And people talked a lot of shit about that, but it was so good. I I would They they were reading the same book I was. It was phenomenal. Mm, Absolutely quality. Uh, Right then, the cover story, and this is going to bring me great joy. We've decided to spotlight uh <laughs> Liefeld because I fucking hate him. I hate him so much. Like look at that. I don't hate people because you shouldn't say hate. Because if like if I hate Liefeld, then how do I feel about like children addicted to heroin or like or like babies <laughs> with incurable diseases? Do you know what I mean? Like you can't you can't use the word hate about a man that's just a bit of a prick. 
And then when you've got like third world debt and famine across of Africa going, well, what do you do for that? Oh, I super hate it. But I'm going to say, I'm going to use <laughs> the word hate at a level that is understandably del delta distance below all those horrific things that happen in the world. This guy is one of the most arrogant, self-masturbatory, flagellant fucking pieces of shit to ever pick up a fucking pencil and create a fucking comic. Not only have a lack of introspection of his importance in the whole thing, he doesn't realise that he built a career off the death and destruction of a whole fucking industry in the 90s. He constantly from reposts his comics. Yes, your X-Force did sell 5.3 million, but that's because that's because you can pick them up for about two pounds on eBay now because, because it was speculators. I could have wiped my nose and my ass on the pages and it still would have sold 5.3 million because people were stupid enough to think that your shit art would be worth something all this time in the future. It completely does not understand how one note his Deadpool was. How, yes, he may have drawn Cable first, he may have drawn Domino first, but he's stolen a living, he's stolen every identity of any character that he's ever done. When he went to Image, he did, he had Brigade, he had Wildcats, and he had, um, fuck, what's the other one? But it doesn't matter, because all they are is X-Men. strike. With, yeah, with a different cover on it. He, he is just the most objectionable little fucking weasel. And he's so outspoken. If the guy could just learn to close his mouth for a week, it would probably make it better. <laughs> and he's not only doing this, not only is he doing this, but he has the audacity to call out Hickman, Hickman, and Kate, who does nothing but give him plaudits and try and be nice to him. This guy is a fucking toad he's a fucking toad he's a weasel and frankly if the guy dropped dead tomorrow then it'd still be quite sad because we don't want to wish that on anyone do you know what i mean <laughs> he, deserves, he deserves his life and he's living his best one i just wish it didn't i wish it didn't step on my one so much anyway i've got steam coming out of my ears i think it's my turn this week we'll call this the jeff john's moment of the week goose <laughs> i mean i don't know if i exhausted all avenues there blake but do you want to pick up the reins in uh, and run with it um, you know, I, I understand that, that he was, he was a, a big part of a lot of, a lot of comics and a lot of Marvel history. Um, and you know, until I, I was never a, a big fan of his stuff. Um, I'm a fan of what came after him, but until like, I saw him, like how he interacts with people on Twitter and that like really just turned me off. Um, he's just so mean and to, to to call out your other creatives in mass like not just one guy not just one issue but like every fucking new marvel book now sucks uh people talk too much uh these new x-men are are you know drama kings and queens and it's and it's boring he called them boring like a wow. whole slew of marvel books and um i actually tried to stand up to him one day and i didn't when I talked to him on Twitter, I never said anything about you can't draw. I never talked about the coke jokes or anything. I was just like, hey, man, like, these are your peers, and you should maybe just treat them with a little more respect. Like, you have over 100,000 people reading your negativity, and that's going to impact sales. Like, that's – I'm sure not everybody listens to him, like, as, like, a, the, the comic's – voice but when a hundred thousand people follow you if you tell all of them that these all these books fucking suck and they're boring there's going to be a few thousand people that aren't going to buy those books and that's going to impact sales 
Um, and so I just, I, I, and he went off on me, man. Like he was like, no, you're wrong. You can't make me like these comic books. You're an idiot. Da, 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 da. And I wasn't even talking about liking the books, just treating your peers with respect. And he can't even do that. Like he can't, he, he can't even do, he has like no nice bone in his body unless it's towards himself. And it's fucking disgusting and people still like tongue his asshole and that's what aggravate like why are you tonguing this guy's asshole it's dirty it's you don't want it <laughs> better assholes to tongue <laughs> yeah the guy definitely wants and he's short and i think it's dangerous I will, I, because in the current climate where everything is cancel culture and nothing's okay it's all good and bad I mean, we've seen in the last four or five years what happens when you have a deity or a leader of a certain stance that leads people and it makes it acceptable for them to behave in a certain way as well. And it's a dangerous precedent. And I think when you say these peers, I think he thinks he's peerless. I don't think he has any introspection or any introspection. I think that when he's setting about people, I don't even think he's doing it because he thinks they're bad. I think what he's doing is he's trying to guarantee his own standing. So I've said this previously, that there's two ways that you can perceive your success. It's that you're, you're better than other people, legitimately or not, or everybody else is worse than me. And he thinks that the only way to maintain his standing is by keeping everybody else repressed. And I think that's, that's it's just the most despicable way of, of generating interest in, in your own work. And I, I think... I think you're right about that. You know, this guy back when they started Image with Todd McFarlane and the whole gang, Jim Lee, Eric Larson, yeah. he was a superstar. He was, they were rock stars of comics. This guy is, is just grasping to hold on to some kind of revel, relevance in the industry. Yeah. Whereas Todd's still going strong. 300, you got the fucking gunslinger that's selling like crazy. He's talking about putting out a new Spawn movie. Uh, Larson with Savage Dragon, he already hit his, uh, what, 250th issue. Mm. Uh, Jim Lee's one of the top guys at DC, and here he is. Yeah. You barely get a job in the industry, and it's like anyone. How do you make yourself feel better? Put everyone else down. And mm. I don't think he, his fall from grace, he has not taken it gracefully. No. And he's lashing totally. out to try to, you know, hold on to some little bit of, of relevance in this industry, which he just doesn't have anymore. And, and, and he's lashing out. And the most insidious part of it is, is that he is, if for what we have to realize is we're in this bubble and we, we all know our bits and bobs and we read a lot and we pay attention to this. So we know the nuts and bolts of it. But to Joe Schmo on the street that heard about this Deadpool film and has gone to see Deadpool and they enjoyed it. And then they, they've maybe, seen a couple of things and then they've got this guy that's on everything who's who's that oh that's rob Liefeld. what did he do oh he created deadpool no he didn't no he didn't <laughs> what did yeah. he joe kelly yeah joe kelly did a funny thing about joe kelly actually he had a reputation for when they were trying to close out runs he was brought onto it he was brought onto the runs to sort of close them out so he was like the kiss of death guy you knew when a title was going to be cancelled because joe kelly was on it so that's what he did with Deadpool. He was brought onto Deadpool to close it off. And he went, fuck it, free hit. Let's just do whatever I want with it. And it ended up being one of the most, um, I don't know, what, what would you say? Like, Successful. Notorious, um, iconic characters. That he's probably, I, I, yeah, I would say 
out of everybody, he is he has the most exceptional brand. It's the one that stands out from everything. There's, there's not another Deadpool anywhere in anything else. You can make an argument for duplicates elsewhere. Sure, I mean, Deathstroke. And that's the thing, getting back on point with the Deathstroke duplication thing. Like, he copied what he looked like from Deathstroke. So the characterization was picked up by Joe Kelly and later um, Gail Simone. So his creative input into what Deadpool... What... Even copied the name, man. What the fuck? Yes. Slade. Wade. Slade Wilson. Wilson. Jesus. He even copied the Spider-Man um. mask. The Spider-Man mask and cut <laughs> on the death on fucking death. I can't even get the words out. I'm spit. I'm just fucking. So I, can't, I can't deal with this in my life anymore. Well, I, can't <laughs> um, I will say this though. Get him out of the way. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I gotta, I gotta say this about uh, Rob Liefeld. Um, first off. We've talked about all the bad things he's done, so let's name a couple of positive things. First off, if it wasn't for Rob Liefeld, I would have never interacted with you, uh, Spank, because you posted up that video that you put of Rob Liefeld, and you were like, yeah, you were like, and y'all go on and roast me. I'd love to see what y'all have to say, and I called you a chimney sweep, and uh, we, we hit it off. We hit it off over that Liefeld video, so, so I have to say, we may talk shit about Liefeld, but... I mean, he's a big factor in why I'm here on the show today uh, because m mine and Spank's uh, love for talking shit about him brought us together uh, several months ago. And that was the first time we interacted. Um, in fact, he, I, I was not, I was kind of um, indifferent to the whole thing because I thought he was an asshole, of course. But I also had a big love for the 90s X-Men. And so, like, I was, uh, I wasn't a big, I wouldn't say I was a big fan of his like I am with some other creators, but, uh, I really, I really was into his work until Major X. And here's where my split with fucking Liefeld came. I, I read all of Major X, didn't have, didn't enjoy it too much, but Major X number zero came out. And before it came out, he was like, oh, this will, this will tie up all the loose ends. And I buy this issue, it's $5.99. And it is basically a reprint of an X-Men issue from the 90s with a couple of his shitty fucking Major X's drawn in with their shitty fucking feet in the back of it. Uh... And all I said was, no. All I said was, hey, man, all I said was, hey, man, uh, if I'd have known I was going to be paying $6 for a reprint of an X-Men issue with just a couple of extra shit drawn in the panels, I probably would have uh, not bought that. And I, I fucking, dude, he, boom. He uh, straight up blocked me after that, and then uh, he talked shit to Blake shortly after, and then I, I don't like the guy at all now. You don't talk about my Blakey. No. <laughs> yeah. Before before um, Major X got picked up, he had seven pitches by DC and Marvel rejected in the space of six months, and it was almost like he was just going in with any shit idea, and they were all for existing IPs, and it was only when he went back with his own out of continuity idea that Marvel went, sure, sure, we'll we'll um, okay. we'll let you run with this, <laughs> and and again, he seems to have no idea that there's a a speculator market that's growing again. And the, the only reason why he got 20,000 and then 40,000 sales for the first issue was with reprints and with uh, variant covers. And that he's talking shit to Hickman, whose X-Men's first issue got about 300,000 sales. Uh, his whole career is a, is a trend crash. I mean, he's, he's a founding Image Comics then uh, is out because nothing is on time and finished. Uh, is launching project, nothing is finished. Uh, he's taking over some series for the big two. 
nothing is nothing is finished. Uh, the cells are done every time. Uh, it's talking crash of other creators, like we said, and he keeps being employed. And I don't understand why. And he's doing kickstarters. It's financed. He's not releasing anything, and he's he lost the young blood brand. It's not it's not even his anymore. So yeah. he created a thing. He doesn't have the right of it. It's madness. Every time he's trying to do something, he fails. He fails. He's a loser. Yeah, and that's that's a real good point. <laughs> On that brigade that he um, crowdfunded, he um he hit the target, and then three four years went past, and he still hadn't released anything or 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 honored his uh, contributors. And the yeah, he didn't refund anyone either, did right? Like all these people paid for something and never got it. And do you know what the biggest tier on it was for contribution? It was like ten thousand dollars or something. He actually thought that people would do a ten thousand dollar contribution. Like, wh what headspace do you have to be in to ask people to do that? But let's turn on to a positive, and I think that we will do this week's reading. Um, I'm going to pick up first because it's going to surprise you that I have read nothing this week, and I have also bought nothing. <laughs> So I'm calling that a win. Oh, that's a big, big win. So hang on, hang on. Bought nothing or had nothing delivered. There's a difference. On both instances, it's have shocking. Brian read his books and then he can send you the audio file and you can listen to it while you're working. <laughs> oh, stop it. I think I think there's an industry that could be there, dude. I mean, some of that <laughs> swelling orchestral that he's just using that. That's, oh, that sweet, sweet syrup that he's got in his, in his, in his voice box. Yeah, I, I'd pay to listen to that without question. But what I have watched a couple more episodes of is uh, Watchmen and The Boys. So I'm trying to spread those out because it's a finite resource. So I only watch one each day and when, when I've got the time. And I think this is sort of, um, I'm sort of, a little bit po-faced about it, that you hear the hype, and I'm sort of like, oh, fuck off, I'll decide if it's any good. All right, all right, I need to tell me what's fucking good, and I'll be the judge of what's good. Just, just you wait, and just, just you all wait till I've watched it, and then we'll, then we'll know if it's any good or not. Just hold your horses. So I think there was a little bit of me being um, a contrarist for the first season of The Boys, and I watched it on a Sunday when I didn't get out of bed. I probably had a few wanks and stuff as well. So, you know, it's part of the course Sundays. <laughs> and I just didn't really get into it. And I enjoyed it, but I didn't think it was quite up to it. But boy, this second series, wow. Wow. It's so, it, you just feel the whole time that you're, you're on the edge of just everything. Yeah. And these guys are so powerful. And it's the first time yeah. that it's ever really been um, addressed that, like, what if, these superheroes aren't 100% perfect. And what if the, the anti-heroes are just the heroes? And what if these people are as complex and as complicated as actual people are? And no one, pe no one person is any one thing. And I think it's just beautifully duplicitous and complex and the interworkings. And not only that, the, the action sequences and the tension that it generates from scene to scene. And it's just, it's relentless relentless so i've really got into that and the other one is watchmen and that's really taken my breath away i didn't know what it was 
I didn't know what angle it was going on, but it's uh, it's actually set 30 years after the film, isn't it? So it's been pretty cool seeing yeah. these characters that you've been building with and getting to know, and then there's a little bit of a reveal when they say their names or their names are brought up. Got Jeremy Irons, fucking hell. Fuck yeah, dude. Legitimately, legitimately, it just sends shivers down my spine anytime he's he's on scene. It, it just superb, really, really is. And oh, who's the lady? What's the actress's name? One of Noah Farley's favourites that he's had in both Legion and um, Fargo. Um, an older lady. Oh, the lady who's uh, Silk Spectre. Or Silk, whatever her name is. Silk yeah, yeah, yeah. She's fantastic. Oh, shit, yeah. She is so good. Yeah. And, and we, spoke, we spoke last week about um, Tim, Timothy, Timothy, Tim, 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 because that's what I call him because I don't like his second name because I don't, <laughs> I keep thinking elephant. And you can't say that because it's disrespectful to a very talented man. <laughs> but she's one of these actresses that it just seems like she's always around and she's just been picking up like these. Then they don't seem important roles, but when you see the range of, even just from start to finish in, uh, in Legion, it's just, 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 it's a joy to just watch um, these people at, at the peak of their powers. And I don't think anyone is gonna disagree with me when, when she comes on screen and you go, oh, it is that woman. And then you copy her name and do a Google search with Young after it. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, she is, she is. Bang tidy, but yeah, I won't take up too much time because mm. it's basically what we've been reading, and basically I haven't read out, so I'm a traitor to our cause, and I should be uh, taking off hosting duties and lots in the dark. <laughs> right, decide to spend my time better. Okay, we will go with Ollie. Take the floor, please. I'm reading uh, Christopher Priest's run on Black Panther, and what's interesting is how different the characters feel. Uh, compared to the actual uh, ongoing series. Here's there's a chala that is cold, calculating, uh, that's frequently opposing uh, the different Avengers members. It's really, really interesting to, to see what I consider uh, the best series ever written. It's a pain, painted style, uh, very... You, you could frame any of the... Of the panels, really, mm. and uh, there's the distinct Christopher Priest uh, writing uh, technique, where each issue is uh, divided in the different scenes with a title card. Oh, it's that the um, it's that the one that was turned into a Marvel Knights um, yep. animation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of the four initial series with Inhumans, Punisher, and Daredevil. Crazy! <laughs> what have you been reading this week? Mm -hmm. All right, so oh, this wait, week, uh, I don't have any Marvel this week because uh, there was no uh, Immortal Hulk. So I did two Indies and a DC. So uh, I caught up on my Red Mother, which I've been reading. So issue six to 10, Ooh. I read issue six to 10. Uh, this series is, uh, it's, it's, it's a suspense horror series and it's, it's a slow pace, but it's amazing because it sets up the tension is always there nonstop, like just under the surface. You never know if, if something's gonna happen. And even if it doesn't, you, there's that dread. There's always dread, like the next corner you turn is gonna be the end for you, you know? Like, uh, so it's, it's a really fun read. Uh, the writer on this is Jeremy Hahn. 
the artist who does the everything, colors and everything is Danny Lookart. And the letter is Ed Duckenshire. And Jeremy Hahn, the writer, draws all the covers for, uh, for this series as well, which is pretty cool. Because he's a pretty damn good artist as well. So then my DC this week was Death Metal Infinite Hour Extreme, That's which is basically a global story. And uh, it, it was pretty fun. Yes. I really enjoyed it. Uh, there's three stories by, well, three parts to the story, all done by different creative teams. And the, the story is called uh, The Bat That Fragged, or The Bat Who Fragged. And the first story is by Frank Thierry. Uh, art was by Teller Kirkham. Uh, the colors were by Arif Pranto. And uh, the lettering was by Dave Sharp. And the first story, like all three stories are good, but the first and the last story are amazing. And the last story, it's just, it's so funny. And it's like Lobo takes control and he makes the world in his image. And it's, it's worth a read. It's worth a read for that, the way they close out this book. It's, it's really good. It's really good. Uh, the second part, the second story in that is written by Becky Cloonan. Uh, Rags Morales is on the art. The colors are by Andrew Dalhouse. And uh, lettering is by Rob Lay. And the final story is written by Sam Humphreys. Uh, art by Dennis Cowan, which, oh, I love that guy. He's, that's, uh, he does a really good job on that. Uh, actually, this is rare, but there's an inker that does the inking, like kind of like old school is uh, uh, Bill Senowitz. Uh, the colors are by Chris uh, Sotomayor, and uh, Dave Sharp does the lettering on that one as well. Really good book, fun read. I don't know if, I'm not really into the death metal, but that was definitely a fun read. Like, uh, regardless if you're into it or not, and you're a fan of Lobo, pick that up, you'll you'll for sure enjoy it. There's three really interesting authors on that, and Humphreys is probably one of the more underrated creatives out there. He did Weird World at the very beginning of All New or Different from Marvel, and I think it's one of the most underrated slept-on titles ever. It's the most ornately pretty stories. It's tragic. Fucking it's awesome. It's so beautiful. Beautiful. And, and yeah. the art is when I first um, picked up on Mike Del Mundo, and if there was ever a team that perfectly fitted the title that they were working on. It, it's just... Del Mundo, I love how he just always slips in some hip-hop in in his fucking yeah. art, man. He's, yeah, he's yeah, gangster. definitely. And, and it was, he, he can make you laugh. He can, he can, he, he can hurt you. He can um, do reveals that are really impacting. Oh, Citizen Jack. Wow, that's another one. I think comedy is the, one of the hardest things to write in comics because I think where you enjoy it, but it's not like lol out loud funny. It's just you nodding going, oh yeah, that was funny. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> Sam Humphreys is the only person that's actually made me physically laugh. And that was for, um, it was a title that was cancelled after its first run and that was Citizen Jack. And it's about this bullish Texan despot that goes for local government and some of the some of the pages are crazy <laughs> it's like you're forgetting about my successful rehab because yeah but we're also not forgetting about the amount of cocaine you used to do <laughs> the old street fighter 2 panel baby what's good wow yeah. that is heavy yes right, uh, dakota actually got Dakota got that for me for Christmas one year, and ever wow. since then, I decided that she can never fucking leave me, ever. 
<laughs> I need a Dakota. I'll pay handsomely. <laughs> okay. I tried. I tried. She wanted to take my money. <laughs> Another reason why you want to keep hold of her. <laughs> that and she doesn't get mad when I buy a bunch of comics. So I'm starting to think she doesn't really exist. You're just describing the perfect woman to us week on, week out, which is like yeah. a vivid image, vivid image of a perfect woman. Wait, does she? Well, let me guess. She's just nipped out to the shop. She's just gone to buy some milk. Oh, she was there. She <laughs> no, 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 no. no. She, she, was, she was there, but do you notice how I tried to put the camera on her and she ran away? It's because she Oh, yeah, yeah, it. yeah, yeah. No, no, I get it. I understand. She is definitely real. I get it. She, she goes real. to a different she's school, real. mate. She goes to a different <laughs> school, mate. You don't know her. You don't know her. <laughs> she's the realest thing I've heard. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to Goose, but I'm afraid he's just going to make up what he's been reading as well. <laughs> Take it away, Goose. I will be getting that Donny Cates uh, King in Black um, cover that he did. I don't know if they're going to do another contest, like the one that I won last time, but I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and get that cover however I can. Uh, he's, only, he's in Austin, Texas. If I have to drive down there and grab him by his blonde hair and make him give me a copy, I will. <laughs> don't make me do that, Donny. I love you. God damn it. I mean, I'd like to hear that story, though, so I'm Sorry. kind of hoping it does happen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, entertainment. if he wants to grab me by the hair, if he wants to let me grab him by the hair, either way, this is totally, totally, uh, let's do it, consensual. Yeah. Oh, real. God, this is consensual. just going to be, like, going to be one of those, like, moments where eyes meet across a crowded room and then everything just goes in slow motion and black and white. <laughs> well, did, did, I ever tell, did I ever tell you guys about the first time I got to meet Donny Cates? Because my, my, my LCS invited me for, for a fucking uh, signing that Matthew Rosenberg was going to be at. And he didn't tell me Donny Cates was coming. He didn't tell me on fucking purpose. And so Matt, Matthew Rosenberg walks in. I'm like, yo, Matt, what's up? Ed Brisson walks in. I'm like, yo, Ed Brisson, you the shit. Donny Cates walks in and I go, oh, you're Donny Cates. And he goes, that's what they tell me. And like, I fangirled. I, I did. And I even, I even brought him because I knew how much of a My Chemical Romance fan he was. I brought him this little jelly bracelet that I got when I got the My Chemical Romance, the Black Parade album in the sixth grade. And I was like, yeah, I was going to give this to you at the meet and greet, but you're here today. So I was like, here. And he looked at me and he goes, you know, I got to meet Gerard Way and I got to take him a copy of my Venom volume one. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, and I got to walk up to him and I handed it to him and he didn't say it. And I said, didn't say what? And he said, thanks for the Venom, which is a My Chemical Romance song. And then me and him busted out laughing. And that's how I knew we were meant to be together. So, you know. <laughs> Fantastic. I finally got to finish up uh, Crossover uh, while we were like starting off the pod. And uh, holy shit, it's fucking incredible. That's not the book that I'm talking about today. What I'm talking about today is um, That Texas Blood from Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips. Probably besides um, besides Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, probably uh, the most cohesive team uh, putting out books right now. Um, every issue of this literally just has me just fucking with my with my jaw on the ground and, and just and just amazed. Every every issue has been just so fantastic. This is this is one of the first books that I am not only am I buying every color or every cover every variant. I'm also buying all the print, the second printings. And the cool thing is, is Chris Condon and Jacob Phillips on their website are putting out all of their books signed by them for the same, for cover price plus shipping. Go to their website and pick that up. Uh, my second book of the week, another indie, is going to be uh, Batman The Max Arkham Dreams by Sam Keith. 
um, I know we were talking about uh, deadlines and waiting and stuff on Jeff Johns and um, and how that pisses people off. I've been waiting on this for almost three years now. <laughs> it, it came out uh, the beginning, uh, sorry, the end of 2017, and it got delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And a lot of that had to do with uh, Sam Keith is doing everything on this book. Uh, everything besides like the, the lettering, which I think is um, one of the guys from Mountainhead, uh, Lee, Sean Lees is doing the lettering on this. But uh, fuck, it's fantastic. I just finished it up. And even after all the weight and everything like that, this is exactly what I wanted. This is the type of, oh, I love that dog, Ollie. This is the type of mashup that you can only dream of sometimes. And with Sam Keith drawing Batman, it is, oh God, it's just phenomenal. Everything about it, it is what I love about the Max. Um, it has that kind of cerebral feel to the whole thing where each panel that you flip, you really don't know what the fuck is going on. And you feel like you're in your own type of outback. And it is uh, phenomenal. 10 out of 10, the wait was definitely worth it. Sam Keith, you're still one of my heroes. Thank you so much for this. Uh, the last one that I want to get into is um, I have started reading. I picked this up last week, but I actually, I'm almost done with it now. Uh, this is by Tom Scully. Scully, somebody pronounced that, that speaks Scioli. Okay, there we go. Scioli. Yeah, Tom Scioli wrote this and drew it and illustrated and all of it. And uh, I'll tell you what, I've always appreciated Jack Kirby, but you do not realize how much of a fucking badass Jack Kirby was until you start reading this motherfucker. He's straight up walking up to dudes talking about, hey, you know, you use your hands a lot for your job. Be ashamed if something fucking happened to him. Wouldn't it, you little bitch? And he's just like, no, like there's there's a page there's a page where like he is shit talking Stan Lee. Like Stan Lee walks into the room and then he walks out and he's like Jack Kirby literally says, uh, "I'm gonna fucking kill him." <laughs> and and you know I just he he went to war and he fought Nazis and he like basically he's just my all time favorite fucking hero. Especially after reading this book, I'm trying to find this page where um, it has him and he's just like, yeah, if I ever see Stan Lee again, I'm gonna fucking kill him. And I'm just like, it's my favorite thing in the whole wide world. Cause, Cause Stan Lee apparently like ratted out Jack Kirby and his like friend to his uncle who was running the comics thing that they were doing. And like, they both got fired. And uh, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, to only to later on like him and yeah, here it is. It's a. Uh, so we sat down and got back to our work on our last job for Martin, Captain America number 10. We were pros. I noticed Stanley's nowhere to be found today. You think he ratted us out to the boss? Who the hell knows, Jack? Well, I know if I ever see that guy again, I'll fucking kill him. And that is, that is Jack Kirby. Wow. The king of comics. Um, and this is no disrespect to Stan Lee. But if Jack Kirby says he's going to fucking kill you, you goddamn deserve it. Uh, because if there's one thing I've learned from, from Jack Kirby. We make good comics, we punch fucking Nazis, and we got them hate Stan Lee sometimes. And so, you know, it's 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 a great book. I have to say everything about it, uh, the art, the 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 story itself, uh, being being about Jack Kirby uh, and being a biography, you wouldn't assume that it would make a great comic. But really, this is the perfect medium to tell Jack, excuse me, to tell Jack Kirby's story. The art is phenomenal. You're getting uh, the background on, on literally one of the most prolific artists in all of comics. Yeah. And it not only gives a background of that, but you're getting a background of what was going on at the time through when Jack Kirby was coming up. 
when he started doing pulp comics and then, you know, later on into the superhero thing. And it's, I really think it's, um, I, I'd have to say it's one of those, um, what word am I looking for? It's, um, it's a definite like book that should be on everybody's reading list. If you love comics, um, it's just, I really think it's one that you can't miss. Uh, everything from start to finish on the book is great. It'll draw you in uh, like any other comic would. And the whole time you're reading all you can think is, holy fuck, like, this is, this is real. This is what actually happened. And, and this, is, this is the king of comics. And he is what we are here like, praising every fucking Sunday, this medium. And uh, it's, God, is such a good read, guys. Uh, I highly recommend it. It's definitely, it's probably going to be uh, in my top of books. It, it's probably going to be in my top two books of the year uh, at the end of the year, for sure, in my list that I make. So uh, definitely pick up that. It's Jack Kirby, The Epic Life of the King of Comics by Tom Scully. And uh, those are going to be my three for the week. Any, um, um, uh... <laughs> I fucking lost the words again. I don't know if you've got any uh, lost love stories or anything like that you want to brace us for before you pick up your books or if there's anyone that you want to give a shout out for that we can maybe create some love. I don't know. It seems like love's in the air. I mean, I've been my ongoing dedication to Goose is something that's just going to be an ongoing theme. But unfortunately, it looks like his heart is taken up by his imaginary fiance and Donny Kate. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> at least we know Donny's real. <laughs> is he? Is Donnie real? He's just a thing that lives inside of us all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, as much as anything can be. <laughs> right. Shoot, Blake, go for it. <laughs> um, all right. So I, I'm doing two reads in a movie uh, because I watched, well, hey, I, I've been reading an omnibus for the last couple of weeks and it's like 1,200 pages of X Men. And as much as I love X Men, I still, it's very hard to binge 1,200 pages of a comic <laughs> made in 2000. Uh, but anyway, I watched uh, Possessor last night. Um, it, it fucking blew me away. Um, I rented it on Vudu. It's very, very much worth the $6 or a purchase. Um, it's in the future. It's about Hitman, uh, where instead of like going after a mark like you typically do, uh, they find someone who's close to the mark and they abduct them and they implant a device in their brain and they're able to like take take them over as like a puppeteer um and and make them you know get close to the person easily and do the hit uh but it's also it's very, very there's an uncut and cut version uh everyone told me to watch the uncut version which i'm glad i did some parts are hard to watch uh it's very brutal it's very bloody and visceral but um it's got a really cool commentary about um the struggle with the self um, our identities and what our identities would mean if like technology were able to control that um, in a sense is like you know nothing is nothing is sacred anymore when technology uh, reigns supreme um, and it's got it was done by uh, Brandon Cronenberg he wrote and directed it um, he hasn't done a lot that I'm familiar with uh, antiviral um, is the one that everyone talks about uh, but yeah so he wrote and directed it um, Henneke Talbot is the uh, is one of the actresses. She's she's great. She's like she's the hit woman. Um, and then uh, Christopher Abbott is the Mark that they take over. Um, and how like when he's playing himself in control by another person, he's he's brilliant. Like it's just absolutely brilliant on screen. Um, and then Jennifer Jason Lee is in it. She's kind of like 
the head honcho at the, at the hitman agency. So I definitely recommend Possessor. Uh, it's, um, uh, you know, if you just want your mind fucked for two hours in the best way possible, like it's, hey, it's great. Um, Blake, do we know, if, do we know if Brian Cronenberg is uh, David's son or is that uh, just a coincidence? I do not know. Because David Cronenberg did all that body horror shit. And if that's his son, I'm definitely down to check it out. Yeah. Is that from 1975, Blake? <clears throat> or is it, which one? Uh, Possessor. Oh, no, it's brand new. It just came out. Oh, okay. So I think it's a remake, actually. Oh, it is? Shit, red. Oh, no. It's a, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to read you the uh, description of this from 1975. Uh, when Peter, an archaeology student, opens... Paige's cursed medallion, her spirit immediately takes control of him. Peter's girlfriend, Sherry, sounds like a top bird, his sister and his mother soon fall prey to the Hadjia. And when Peter undergoes the hideous sexual transformation into Hadjia, his family has done <laughs> Wait, wait, were you listening to anything Blake just said? <laughs> it's not exactly what I was thinking. I was like, no. <laughs> Not at all the same movie. Funny enough, it had a both regular and uh, uncut version. <laughs> uh, so not not a remake. There's definitely some borrowed um, some borrowed thematics there. I would say. Um, I just want everybody else to make a decision. You can either go what with what Blake says or the three words of hideous sexual transformation, and that's <laughs> <laughs> Oh god! Um, and then my my first at read, um, I um, I read uh, Dracula Motherfucker, by, um, Alex DeCampi and um, and Erica Henderson, and this was this was amazing. First of all, um, I really like this. Uh, even in the commentary in the back, uh, Alex DeCampi says, you know, like I had a story and and Erica changed it for the better. Um, so this was definitely a collaborative effort on these two women. Um, and they did this whole thing themselves. Erica did the art and colored it. Alex wrote it and did the lettering. Um, so, I mean, they are the creative team. These two people did it um, and uh, put it all together themselves. It's, uh, it's another one of those uh, little hardcover image graphic novellas they put out, which none of them have been bad. They've all been fucking stellar. So pretty much if Image puts one of these out, you should just buy it and, and thank me later. Uh, but this was really, really great. Um, Erica Henderson is known a lot for her uh, artwork on Squirrel Girl, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but this is not Squirrel Girl. She has taken her art to another level. Uh, very heavy inks, uh, limited color palettes, and the, the way mood is controlled uh, through color um, is really, really astounding. Like in the action and, and horror scenes, it goes from like orange to red. And then, you know, in the, the dialogue scenes, we have like calmer blues and yellows. So these, these colors like manipulate your mood as you turn the pages. Um, and I mean, these, the way you turn the pages in this, like the, you know, the, the, the page turn in comics is important because of the reveal, you know, you, you turn the page, your eyes see everything, and then you focus in and, and read as you're instructed to. And the, the way these page turns were thought out was very meticulous and planned very well. Um, it's about uh, the Brides of Dracula, uh, which I thought was really cool. Um, they, um, you know, there's also like some layers to this. There's commentary about how women are controlled in narratives and stuff like that. And a bride is more than a bride. Um, and this, this hits you with that, like full force, like, 
these are not just these are not just side pieces for Dracula, and they are dangerous, and they are beautiful, and they are intriguing. Uh, recommend this wholeheartedly. Uh, very very cool book. And then what I've been chugging on is this beast of a bastard right here, um, X Men the Twelve. It's, uh, it's a thirteen hundred page apocalypse story. Uh, came out about two thousand. Uh, it's got a lot of creators on it, so I won't like list tons of them because there's a lot of books involved um i bought it because it ties into some other omnibuses i got recently and everyone talks shit on it like everyone's like oh 12 (laughs) but but i don't i'm i'm enjoying it um it's it's uh you know it's stuffy at times um but it's the I don't think it deserves the rampant hatred it gets. One of the cool things I'm thinking of, and I'm about 400 pages in, so I'm a third of the way through ish, um, is it's uh, the X Men are dealing with post traumatic stress. They're tired. This happens just after onslaught. Um, Xavier is is really insecure about their uh, performance, and he doesn't think they're good enough, and he's pushing them hard, and the, none of them are sleeping well, and it's the the toll on them is is very present in this book and i don't get that a lot in x-men books even with the new stuff with the where we are focusing more on the dramatics over the action i just think it's really cool to to see like the weight of their responsibility like crushing their shoulders um making them question like do i want to keep doing this do i want to be a hero should i leave the mansion uh in that instance like this was really shining for me um, and then, like I said, I love Apocalypse. He's about to come in and fuck everything up. So uh, that's that was my stuff for the week. Well, I, I like that description. That, that sounds pretty good. You certainly lit my ring, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, last one, Ollie. Ollie, I don't like it when you do hand signals. I like it when you just do impromptu screens. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my mother's highlights. You know this. Don't disappoint my mother. <laughs> He's your number one fan. I've told you this. <laughs> what do you think of the pod, Mum? Yeah, it's good. Not enough Ollie, though. <laughs> Whenever is there? Whenever can there be? Is there ever <laughs> going to be enough? That's what. That's the question that I ask. <laughs> oh, dear. And another person that I could never, ever be full of. And that is, of course, Brian, our final uh, cast member to give us his comics of the week. So far away, pal. Let's go, let's go, let's go. So starting off, kicking off with X. (laughs) (laughs) Ten of Swords. So that, yeah, the Shing, we've got to get that Shing in. So we've got Marauders 15, written by Duggan. You've got uh, Excalibur 14, which is Teeny Howard, beautifully written. And uh, Wolverine number seven, like which her. is Duggan all over again. Uh, and let me tell you something, man. This story is, it brings me back to Art Adams's, is it Art Adams's epic when the New Mutants went to, when Danny became a Valkyrie. If you are to remember that story, if you go, go way back. That nostalgia, that gripped me. And I'm telling you, this story is going to be spoken about in the annals of time because it is so layered uh, and it also brings me back to the original Excalibur days where Jamie uh, Braddock was fucking reality warping shit like a motherfucker he's not doing that so much here but you know there's some of that shit going on and Opaluna Saturnine is 
she ain't the motherfucker, <laughs> man. She's got she's got every move you can come with. She's she's got it locked down. She just played by the rules, and then the rules switch. <laughs> so that's the kind of thing about uh, Ten of Swords right about now. But uh, I think the two standouts. I mean, the whole series is there, particularly these issues, because this is where shit starts to kick off. The battles actually start, uh, and, but nothing goes the way you think. Even if you know someone's going to lose, they don't lose in the way you think. And if you think someone's going to win, they don't win in the way they think. Uh, in the last book, which was uh, Wolverine number seven, fucking hell, man. We get back the regenerating degenerate, the old fucking Ken Knucklehead. Wolverine is that motherfucker, man. He's This book absolutely brings it about in so many different layers. And there's a beautiful thing there. Um, that happens between him and another character, which I'm not going to spoil. But yeah, this book is well, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it, and, and obviously keep up with it. My last book is Taskmaster. <laughs> yes, Jed McKay and uh, Alessandro Vitti. Yeah. Um, Jed McKay. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good start. It's a good start. It's a good start. I mean, for me personally, I want to see fucking Ultimate Taskmaster. That motherfucker handed everyone their ass when they came across him because he's not playing. The way he handled Mar Morales and Peter Parker and they did that crossover, I think that was Mark Miller's crossover a little while back. Oh my God, he fucked them up. Um, uh, So I think we've we've got a wisecracking kind of cowardly character who could still shoot you between the eyes at 500 paces with a fucking... Um, you know, mimicking Bullseye's throw or Hawkeye's bow and arrow. You know, he's he's like that. So I think he, he can catch you with his offbeat, offhand, wisecracking uh, humor, but he will kill you if someone pays him. That That's the thing. He's a professional. But, you know, this has got to be like one of the baddest motherfuckers on earth right now, right? Um, but this issue starts with him shitting his pants because someone's chasing him and he can't get rid of him. And the reveal of who's chasing him is awesome. Um, and this book ties into Daughters of the Dragon because it's um, it got a, a nice line underneath it whereby Daughters of the Dragon featured Taskmaster and there yeah. lies the, the the draw. So yeah, this is a, this is a great start. You know, I, I rate my books out of five. This is a solid four. Um, was it funny? Um, it like this. Some of the stuff was, I saw was looked yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, I, I was. There were some bits that I was. I literally laughed out loud. Um, how it started and it just kicks off. It just goes like from the minute that book starts, it's just on. So yeah, it's a good book. It's funny. I want to see where it goes. Um, you know, the book that that is reminding me of is the Superior Foes of Spider Man. Which why the fuck did they cancel that? That book was hilarious. It Big was words. So it's an epic series. It was epic, and this looks like it's gonna pick up where that left off. Hopefully. So cool. that's my shit, man. Romeo done. I don't know what you guys think, but Taskmaster is one of these characters that kind of just gets jobbed a lot. And really, he should be almost undefeatable, but he's kind of thrown in one or two issue arcs as an antagonist. And they're always like, oh, it's Taskmaster. He's just going to know everything. What I'm going to do, he can do everything that I do. Oops, we've beaten him. And I feel like he's nerfed a lot. Whereas I think it's really exciting to have him in his own own title and probably being the badass that he deserves to be written written as because yeah he's he he should be almost undefeatable 
But he's hard to write. Well, I don't, um, you have to have a good writer is, yeah. to tackle him. In, in Ta-Nehisi Coates' run of um, Captain America, um, he, uh, Steve Rogers had to fight him. Uh, and it was only because Steve can fucking adapt. Like, Steve like the motherfucker. Yeah. Like he just about managed to beat him. Uh, because he used everything in his arsenal. Arrows, fucking shield, everything. Um, and he really had Steve on the ropes, but it's only because Steve is also not just physically in 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 Ahmed, his, his brain can think fast, and he can react faster than uh, Taskmaster could, even whichever ability he's using. And he just about he just about managed to beat Taskmaster, and that's the level that Taskmaster needs to be on. You know, like if, like you said, if you hear his name, you should be bricking it. I don't give a fuck who you are, whether you're Spider Man, whatever you think. Uh, because he's got no powers apart, no, no like resilience, no initial endurance, not even a fucking decent costume that can protect him from some level of damage. So he should be either amputated, have a cyborg arm, or dead. And the way that he's written, the way that he just keeps getting nerfed. So why is he alive? Even him going up against Deadpool, and the only way Deadpool can beat him is because he's a fucking lunatic and he would just fucking shoot himself for his body to, to get him. Yeah, I think he. I think really, he, it should it should propose the same problems that you'd have with Bullseye. But people seem to be able to astutely write Bullseye that even mm. when he appears in Daredevil, you're instantly worried because you know that he will get the better of Matt Murdock on any given day, and you feel that threat. But when Taskmaster's there, you're kind of like, right, let's wait and see how they beat him. Taskmaster does a fucking wicked uh, riff on that, actually. Really, in the book. That's pretty uh, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You've got to see it. Got to... Speaking of sort of limited runs for these traditional antagonists, I want to... Fucking hell, I can't believe it. I'm, I'm going to have to chew on the shit sandwich. can't believe this was Britain. This is the best thing that Britain's ever done, in my opinion, and in which case. 2017, Bullseye, The Columbian Connection. And it shows him at his... He's not just ruthless. He's not just almost omnipotent. He is aggressively just hateful and he kills people because he can kill people not because it's a part mm. of the job not because he's got a hit and the way that this interacts with like the Columbia like mafioso and everything wow it, mm. it is it's an eye popper like page to page and the art style as well like you just see a man that is so single-minded and determined to just kill so, Goose, before we go, would you like to grace our audience with a Kickstarter of the week, please? Uh, if you haven't got a chance to check it out, there's a Kickstarter called uh, Corridor. Um, it is not reached its goal yet, but it's well on its way. It is a, uh, it's going to be a horror uh, magazine put together by some of the best uh, voices in comics. We're going to have uh, one of my favorite artists on it, and that is uh, fucking... Lee, Ryan Lee from Mountainhead is we're gonna have Brian Level on it a couple of other ones uh there's some really cool contributor packs for 50 bucks you can get the Brian Level contributor pack which gets you not only the first issue of the magazine but also some exclusive Brian Level prints um I am really excited about that one so if any of y'all want to check it out Corridor on Kickstarter so uh I think it's time to say goodbye in which case so listen I gotta give a shout out to my man London uh, if it wasn't for him I wouldn't know what the what's going on with the Mandalorian right about now. Shout out to all of the crew on Twitter, Chango, Jared. Yeah, you guys, you know who you are, man. 
what Miami X nerd or fucking please vote, you know, <laughs> the, the whole crew that's out there big this up. Film, film noir girl, uh, Marvel girl, uh, frog queen, fucking just keep pushing, man. Love you guys. Yeah, thank you. All, thank you to all those people for the support. Um, uh, yeah, film noir girl is so like, I think she retweets everything we say, and I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Big ups to her. Everybody, everybody needs to be like film noir girls so that we can so that we can get enough people for ad revenue and make a lot of money and just take over the internet game. Um, that's the goal. Very much appreciated. Anybody else want to go? Um, I, I want to say uh, big shout outs to, uh, I hope it's saying right, Row, uh, Rowry Co uh, Coleman, who I got that uh, Hellboy commission from. Also, thanks to everybody who's been watching. Uh, yeah, I think our biggest fan, uh, film noir girl, uh, big shout out to her for just like being involved in everything and big shout out to you guys i love talking to y'all every sunday uh it's been fun i'll close it out i'll stoke a little uh little fire going on here uh, for everyone who's reading uh x of swords well i'll take a little quote from wolverine tastes like a whole bunch of bullshit to me Peace out, man. <laughs> and he's got the accent <laughs> And on that note, there's only one thing for me to say. This has been, and this is, the end. <laughs> <laughs>